Jonah chapter 4 is where we are uh, this morning. So please uh, turn in your Bible to Jonah chapter 4. If you're not turning in your Bible, that means you don't have your Bible with you. Repent and bring your Bible next time. Came across an article this past week written by Richard Koken. It appeared on relevantmagazine.com October 23rd of this year. The title caught my attention. Why are we so bad at evangelism? And Koken lists four reasons. Number one, temporal reluctance. Some of us are painfully aware we're a little shy, reserved, or introverted, and evangelism feels frightening. Number two, cultural reluctance. For others, our reluctance can be put down to learned behavior. We've been raised to keep to ourselves, and evangelism seems rude. Number three, theological reluctance. For many of us, our reluctance comes down to what we think God is like, and we're just not sure if He wants all Christians to engage in mission, especially if we lack the gifts or calling in evangelism that others seem to have. And then number four, motivational reluctance. But for most of us, I fear that our reluctance could be desire. We have so many responsibilities and problems to face that we're not persuaded evangelism should really be an urgent priority for us right now. Well, of course, I was really drawn to this particular article because of his use of the word reluctance. This morning, we conclude our study of the book of Jonah as we have been talking about Jonah as the reluctant missionary. And we have asked the question, why perhaps are we so reluctant to be evangelistic, to be missionaries, to accept our own calling to our community and even beyond? Koken concludes his article by referencing Jonah and refers to Jonah as the reluctant missionary. But how God was patient with him, gave him another chance, and Jonah fulfills uh, his calling. So again this morning, Jonah chapter 4, and again we've used Kyle Yates' very popular little outline. Chapter 1, running from God as Jonah protests his assignment. Chapter 2, running to God as Jonah, given that second chance, prays from the belly of that great fish. Last week we saw Jonah in chapter 3 running with God as he preached or proclaimed the word of God to the great city of Nineveh. And we saw three things. Jonah changed as he was resent. Nineveh changed as that city repented, and God changed as he relented from destroying the city. And so now we get to chapter 4, and Jonah runs ahead of God, and we see Jonah do something that many of us are very good at, and that is pouting, right? 
I think Lori will tell you, I'm pretty good at pouting. Particularly when things don't go my way. Or when I am called to do something that I really don't want to do. And that was the case with Jonah. Jonah chapter 4 is easy uh, to outline. Oh, I've already gone through all that. Let me get ahead. We have Jonah's response to God. Jonah 3 ends with God relenting from destroying the city of Nineveh. And so God's anger with Nineveh ends, and we come to chapter 4, and Jonah's anger with God begins. Let's read the first three verses. But to Jonah, this seemed, that is, saving Nineveh, seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Some prophets recalled from preaching because they saw no hope. Jonah refused because he knew there was hope. Some prophets complained about the wrath of God. Jonah complained about the love of God. In fact, Jonah quotes from Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, which becomes a very powerful and frequent text in the Old Testament that describes who God is, what God is really like, that He is gracious, He is compassionate, He is patient, He is extremely committed not only to His own people, but all of creation, and he would rather not punish evil. And so these five characteristics or attributes of God that, that Jonah knows too well are also characteristics and attributes and attitudes that we should have in our lives as well. And so Jonah feared that divine justice would suffer because of divine mercy. Which brings us to the rest of the chapter and the ending of the book as, whoops, there. We have God's response to Jonah. He begins by asking Jonah a question. He then is going to a point, as he has previously done throughout this uh, adventure, an object lesson in a vine or a plant, and then the book will conclude with God emphasizing his point of being a gracious God. Verse 4, but God replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited 
to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? I want to suggest this morning... Uh, four points for us to ponder as we conclude this as we conclude this sit, sit, uh, series of sermons challenging us to hopefully overcome our own reluctance to be evangelistic to share our faith to serve others to infiltrate the city of Paris and beyond with the powerful gospel of Jesus number one I'm really having trouble with this this morning. I'm going to turn it. No, there's no one in the control room. I'm, it's me. It's me. Number one, Jonah had the right orthodoxy, but not the right orthopraxy. Or to put it this way, I wanted to impress you with some big words there. Jonah believed the right things about God, but he did not behave like God. In other words, what we know is not as important as what we do. Right? Again, you go back to Jonah quoting Exodus 34. He really understood God. He really knew God in that sense. Knew that God was compassionate. Knew that God was merciful. Knew that God was loving knew that God would relent from judgment when people repented. And yet, in spite of that knowledge, in spite of knowing all those things, he was reluctant to have those same characteristics in his own life. And, and we look at our community, we look at our city, we look at certain uh, demographics, and, and, and perhaps even though we have experienced the mercy of God, even though we understand the love of God, even though we know what God would have us to do, we're hesitant, we're reluctant. Because perhaps we look at others as the enemy, or we look at others as undesirable, maybe even unworthy of hearing the message of Jesus. So it's one thing to believe and to know and to understand all the right things and something else to put those things into practice. And that's the challenge of Jonah. Number two, Jonah again chooses isolation 
rather than participation. Isn't it kind of comical? God has relented from destroying the city. And Jonah removes himself again from the city, from the situation, goes to the east side, perhaps sitting up on top of a hill. He, he makes this little lean-to, and he begins to watch. Right? He's hoping God will change his mind again. And I guess zap the city. Right? And so he removes himself once again. You know, we talked last week uh, from chapter 3. The story makes the point that Jonah goes into the city a day's journey. He infiltrates the city. And we challenged each other to infiltrate our own community, not to be so isolated. And yet here Jonah is once again removing himself from the context of his assignment. And I, I kind of see Jonah, when he begins to pout and when he begins to moan a little bit, he's just kind of talking to himself, right? Do you ever do that when you pout? Come on, admit it, all right? I've got one honest gentleman right here, maybe two, okay? All right, we, we, we start talking to ourselves. And Jonah, so he stops talking to God and begins to talk to himself. And and maybe he's rationalizing things in his own mind. And when we do that, we tend to make excuses. And so again, rather than isolating, infiltrating the community. Number three, we need to beware. Whoops, whoops. My thumb is too heavy this morning. We need to beware narrow-mindedness plants the seed of its own harvest. Now, if you go back three weeks to the very first lesson, and as we introduced this study, I, I referenced how this powerful little story, this powerful little book, is viewed amongst Jewish people. And and one of the reasons that that Jews go to this book is to help them overcome their own narrow-mindedness. And we must understand that if we remain isolated, that we can become very narrow-minded ourselves. Exclusiveness is the way, here's the way one person put it, exclusiveness brings its own nemesis. We perhaps can swell with a spiritual pride because we have all the right answers and we have a lot of knowledge. We lose toleration with other people. Our love becomes very narrow about who we perhaps exhibit that love to and perhaps can even become a little arrogant in our faith or our own spirituality. So, that leads us to number four. Our passion must be for people, not plants. Again, you go back to the story in this object lesson that God provides for Jonah. He's built this little lean-to. 
evidently didn't provide enough shade, so God provides this plant for him that grows up and provides a, a wonderful shade, right? And then as God continues to work with Jonah, continues to teach Jonah uh, this, this powerful lesson of overcoming his narrow-mindedness and being willing to reach out even to the enemy, he takes the plan away. And, and once again, Jonah becomes very hot, all right, in more ways than one, literally as well as emotionally. And he's upset, and he's upset with God. He's angry with God all over again. And God says, listen, here you enjoy a plant for one day. You lose it, and you're so angry. In fact, to quote Jonah, he wants to die. He's ready to die again. And so being more concerned about people than plants... What are our plants? What, what is it that perhaps we become more concerned about rather than people? Our own pride, our desire to, to always be right, our reputation. But what are our plants that keep us from being more moved and concerned about people? I, I appreciate uh, the two scriptures, the, those two great commission texts that Ray had us uh, read together earlier this morning. And um, we, we discussed uh, Matthew's great commission, uh, chapter 28, several uh, weeks ago or now it's a few months ago. I, get, I can even say I've been here a few months now. That's kind of nice, you know. We, we talk about going into all the world, or we, we talk about teaching all nations. Right? And, and maybe, maybe we, we need to, to understand nations a little bit. Right? We, we, we use the word nations, and we think on the other side of the world. And, and that's okay. We need to think that way, all right? But the word translated uh, nations there is our word ethnic. And, and yet, that may be a little too broad. The idea is people or people groups, right? So, so let's think about people groups in our community. And, and, I, and, and let's just be as broad as we need to be. Think of a people group. Soccer moms, right? That's a people group, right? Um, dads who coach little league football, that's a people group, right? And, and what the Great Commission is telling us is go to every single people group. Now, again, we, we often think in terms of different uh, ethnic groups, and that's, that's a people group, right? Okay? But, but thinking about uh, specifically people, groups of people that we are already involved in, right? PTA, PT, PTO, PT whatever, okay? 
And in wherever we go, who we work with, who we go to school with, um, we're all parts of people groups. And, and Jesus says, you go to your people groups. And so no one is excluded. That's the point, right? No one is excluded. And, and so we, we really have no right to kind of pick and choose who we want to go to. Because we're sent to everyone with the message of Jesus. Number three, or five. Remember the fifth beatitude. Matthew 5, 7. Can anybody, anybody ahead of me know what the fifth beatitude is? Blessed are the merciful. Why are the merciful blessed? Because they will be shown mercy. Anybody received any mercy in here this morning? If you have, raise your hand. Pretty much all of us, pretty much all of us. And so if we've received mercy, in order to be blessed, we must extend that mercy. And, and we must give that mercy away. There's a very powerful passage in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3. Listen to what Peter says about God, I, th I think he understood Exodus 34 as well. Listen to what he says in verses 8 and 9. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone, no people group, no one to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The memory of our own salvation should enable us to embrace what Jonah considered to be the scandal of God's mercy. We too must become agents of mercy. As we've seen in Jonah, as we just read from 2 Peter, God would rather forgive than judge. God would rather forgive than destroy. Do we? Or do, or do we kind of like it? when we see God's judgment upon a particular people group. Here's Jonah in a nutshell. Chapter 1, I won't go. Chapter 2, I will go. Chapter 3, I am doing it. Chapter 4, I wish I hadn't done it. Like other stories we have in Scripture, particularly some of the parables of Jesus, the story of Jonah is left open-ended. He's sitting there, 
pouting. God has challenged him with a question, an object lesson, and a reminder. And there Jonah sits on that hill on the east side of Nineveh. What do you think happened? You think Jonah changed his mind? Do you think Jonah went back into the city and did some more teaching? Do you think Jonah returned uh, to Israel and said, Listen, gang, I've learned some things over the last several days or weeks. Let me tell you. It's open-ended. And and, and to some degree, our story remains open-ended as well. Are we going to change and more fully accept that commission, that calling, that challenge to infiltrate our community, our city, even beyond wherever God might take us to be that city upon the hill that we talked about last week, to, to be salt, to be light, to be instruments that God can use to make a difference in the city of Paris, the second largest Paris in the world. And to further the, king, uh, the borders of God's kingdom. The choice is ours. Our story remains unfinished. But with God's Spirit filling us, and with God on our side, Paris, watch out. As God does use us, as we answer that call, and we fulfill that great commission. Let's stand and sing.